Hello and welcome everyone to episode 28 of the Ducky O'Brien Show. And today we have a lot of indie games to cover as well. I'm going to be covering the games in this order so you can skip around to get to the game you want to. On Guard, On Anko, Fay Farm, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So why don't we start with Unguard? Unguard is like Sekiro for Ants, and what I mean by that is that the game is actually quite very good. The combat in Unguard is spiritually similar to Sekiro, but it's much more accessible and forgiving. The magical quality of the combat is that it still makes you feel like you're a pro whenever you successfully pull off a series of parries and dodges in a row, especially when surrounded by multiple enemies. The combat is buttery smooth and on guard. You have regular attacks that can take out weaker enemies in a few hits, while the stronger, more armored soldiers will guard against your attacks. This is where you have to wait and parry against their attacks or dodge and counterattack. The combat is incredibly forgiving and accessible in that the window to successfully dodge and parry is quite large compared to most games with this type of combat. The game also telegraphs what kind of attack the enemy is going to use with a large colored indicator so you can act accordingly to counter them. Combine the obvious telegraph with a generous window in which to act with and you have buttery smooth combat that makes you feel like you are a master fencer. On Guard doesn't just stop at making the sword fighting feel great. The game also adds in a lot of additional mechanics to help dispatch your foes with cunning and oftentimes humor. The combat is like an onion. It has multiple layers that will make the enemies cry. You can do things such as kick crates and barrels into enemies to temporarily stun them. Immobilizing your foes is key in handling multiple opponents as it lets you deal with fewer enemies attacking you at the same time or create an opening to attack the more heavily armored opponents. You can also kick your foes into weapon racks or the water to take them out instantly. This works in synergy with a temporary stun from kicking crates and barrels as the armored opponents won't move from your kicks unless they are stunned to begin with. There are more humorous mechanics that help create space in combat as well. You can throw jugs at enemies to temporarily phase them. It also comes with the bonus of a very satisfying plink sound as metal meets faces. Throwing a bucket at someone will cover their head and disable them for quite a while. This is useful if you want to attack someone armored or avoid fighting them until later. But wait, there's even more. You can change the elevation by standing on tables and do a very stylish somersault over the heads of your less mobile foes and face them temporarily. The game also has so many small mechanics, usually related to changes in elevation or movement, that temporarily phase enemies, creating space for you to reposition yourself or providing an opening to attack. Along with these mechanics, each level adds new enemies and ways to interact with enemies and the levels. For example, the second level introduces grenadiers and the ability to set enemies and conveniently place explosive barrels on fire. There are only 4 levels in the game so far, but they are quite long. There are also collectibles, challenges, and secrets to unlock for each level, encouraging players to revisit them and explore. The game also has a sense of humor and levity, and the game's aesthetics reflect that. The art is cartoonish in a visually pleasing way, with the bright color palettes that make the scenery pop. The enemies you fight, as well as the main villain, are plenty goofy. No one actually kills anyone. People in the world of Unguard simply fake being knocked out while making some rather humorous commentary. 
There's a sense of wholesome levity that seeps into the narrative and dialogue. It provides a nice change of pace from words being too grim dark. Overall, Unguard is a delightful game. There's a lovely sense of levity throughout every aspect of the game. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but you can sense the amount of crap put into the combat and the set pieces. You definitely don't have to be on guard about checking out this game. For additional info, the game currently has a review score of 94% positive with a total of 609 reviews as of this writing on August 28, 2023. The game was developed and published by Fireplace Games. It was released on August 16, 2023 with an MSRP of $19.99. I did receive a free key from ICO. Thank you to the greedy person for approving my request. I spent a total of 3.9 hours playing the game so far and have unlocked 8 out of the 30 achievements. If you're wondering why the podcast episode was released way later after the writing of the article, I write all the articles over a period of time first and then I read over it to make the podcast episode. The review score shouldn't change too much though in that short amount of time. I do end up playing the game more though. And my opinion on the game won't change too much. I usually get a little bit more positive over time in my own personal experience. Okay, moving on to the next game, On Anko. On Anko is a simple roguelite. You go into the game, craft one weapon, upgrade one set of armor, and leave a bloody trail of spider and other monstrosities corpses as you fight your way tooth and nail to the final boss. There are so many spiders though, so many. The game deceives you into thinking you are safe and that victory is possible and then 20 minutes in, the entire screen is covered in those pesky spiders. Slow white spiders, speedy jumping red spiders, exploding green spiders. The game provides so many exciting ways to chip your health down and sometimes outright kill you if you can't get away. This is where the game's sort of roguelite-ish mechanics come into play. You are expected to die before finishing the level, but you don't necessarily unlock any passive upgrades. Instead, by completing certain objectives before you die, you unlock new equipment that can be crafted in each run. You don't really need the new equipment to win, but it certainly makes life way more convenient. The core gameplay loop of Anako is quite enjoyable despite the constant onslaught of spiders. The general strategy I use is to quickly gather resources to upgrade my weapon as fast as humanly possible. I also like using ranged weapons that have a wide area effect, such as the crossbow for the soldier and the bounce for the apothecary. I personally found that having more damage is desirable compared to having more health. Health can be increased by crafting armor and different sets have different benefits. For example, the soldier's default armor set is focused on greatly increasing health and survivability in exchange for slower crafting speeds in order to make using a melee weapon more feasible. The default apothecary set focuses on increasing craft speed, efficiency, and storage space in exchange for a smaller health gain. There are other armor sets you can unlock that give slightly different benefits. While more health may seem great, Towards the end of the game, there are just so many enemies that you just have to rely on not getting hit in the first place. This is why I make upgrading the weapon my first priority since the best way to avoid getting hit is to destroy all the enemies before they can reach you. They do say the best defense is an offense. Ranged weapons accomplishes the best. Aside from your one weapon, you can also unlock spirit weapons, upgraded weapons, or armor pieces from shrines. 
Shrines require a certain number of materials to unlock, and once you provide those materials, it will give you a random selection of upgrades to choose from. I found that while upgrading your weapon for cheap is definitely beneficial, having a spirit weapon is also incredibly helpful when it comes to harvesting while under attack. The spirit weapon summons a small ghost wielding a specific weapon and attacks nearby enemies whenever you are not moving. Since the enemies don't stop attacking and you must play a small minigame when harvesting, this gives you a little bit of space when things get more hectic. The spirit weapons can be upgraded as well, giving you essentially two weapons to fight with. There are also rings, amulets, advanced crafting tools, and other upgrades to make the constant onslaught of enemies manageable, but the best tool is to upgrade your weapon as fast as possible and make it to the final boss as quickly as possible before the threat level reaches 10. You can craft wooden flutes to track a desired resource if you are having difficulty finding something. I would definitely recommend using the flute to track resources as quickly as possible since time is of the essence in this game. When the threat level is at its highest, it's almost impossible to survive. The enemies spawn indefinitely and you barely have any time to grab any resources or craft even health potions. Overall, Ananko is enjoyable. It has a simple gameplay loop that is easy to learn, but still manages to provide some level of complexity and nuance. It also doesn't take much time to complete a run. It'll take around 30 minutes at most. It reminds me of playing that one Warcraft 3 custom map where it was a survival crafting roguelite. I forgot the name of the map, but the small-scale, micro-session-focused design of An Anko definitely brought back those memories and feelings of simple times. And spiders. So many spiders. They just don't stop. For additional information, Ananko currently has a review score of 95% positive reviews with a total of 124 reviews as of this writing on August 29, 2023. The game was developed by Alchemy, it was published by PID Games, and was released on August 17, 2023 with an MSRP of $4.99. This price point is pretty attractive for this game. I think it's the perfect price for the amount of content you get. I did receive a free key from ICO. Thank you very much, Luz. I don't know if we're supposed to say the PR person's name, but I, I don't know. I wanted to thank them by name. <laughs> Maybe I'll refrain from doing that. I mean, you don't know who they are because yeah, I never gave out the last name. I did spend a total of 4.8 hours playing the game, and I currently have 2 out of the 6 achievements unlocked. By the way, I don't remember that Warcraft 3 custom map, but if you guys remember, uh, let me know. You can contact me through email, duckyobrienshow at gmail.com. But yeah, it was like this map where it was like the wilderness and there were like night day cycles and I think winter and summer. And like you were hunting animals, making fires. It was really fun. I forgot what it was. But I kind of missed that kind of smaller like crafting survival gameplay but in like 30 minutes to an hour or even a couple hours. I kind of really missed that. For our next game, we have Fey Farm. Fey Farm is a very competent farming simulator in a sea of farming sims. It has tried and true elements and mechanics found in games such as Harvest Moon and Stardew Valley, as well as the more casual social village sims like Animal Crossing. I'll get straight to the point. I think Fey Farm is actually a very competent farming sim, and as an enjoyer of farming sims, I had fun with the game. However, there's nothing at first glance that sets this game apart from other competent farming sims. 
There's definitely small things here and there that add different nuances to the game compared to others for sure, but the overall gameplay loop as well as the feel of playing the game is very familiar territory. This isn't a negative by any means, I love farming sims and a solid farming sim is a win in my book. I'll go over what mechanics I've run across in the game so far, and a few that I have not, and let you guys decide whether or not this game is for you. To start with, the game's farming and harvesting mechanics are standard fare. You start in a neglected farm, overgrown with plants, trees, and littered with logs and rocks everywhere. As with most farming games, some trees cannot be removed until you upgrade your axe, but thankfully this happens fairly early on in the game. While we're on the topic of farming mechanics, one small quality of life addition to Fae Farm is that the game will automatically select the proper tool based on what action you are taking. For example, if you click on a rock, the character will automatically use the pickaxe. If you click on a pile of dirt, the shovel will be used and so forth. Not every farming game has this and not having to manually select your tool is a great time saver. You do still have to manually switch to your wand, fishing rod, and bug net however. As you use your tools, the respective meters will increase over time. For example, every time you catch a bug, the critter catching meter will go up. As the meters go up and you gain levels, you gain bonuses related to the task at hand. The levels are also used as a requirement to unlock new and better equipment. The meters seem to fill up at a decent speed, so progression should feel like it's going at a pretty good pace. In addition to the standard actions of chopping down trees, reaping standing plants, breaking down rocks, and digging up piles of dirt, you can also fish and catch bugs and critters like in Animal Crossing. The bugs are actually used in the game other than just being sold at the market. You can give them as gifts to people who like them, as well as place them in the conservatory and collect byproducts used to craft fertilizer as well as other objects. As for mining ores, there's a mine in the village where each floor is separated by a series of doors that must be opened by finding a switch hidden under a rock. This may sound tedious, and it is, but thankfully you can craft a seal to permanently keep the doors open. This will allow you to speed through to the floor you want to go to. Other than ores, the mines have crystals as well. As you go deeper in the mines, enemies will appear. They're fairly easy to dispatch thankfully and they also drop rare resources such as peridot and iron ore. To break up the tedium of farming, harvesting, and mining, you can spend some time talking to the villagers and increasing your relationship meter with whoever you choose. Some villagers will also give you side quests to complete. These side missions usually relate to the mechanics in the game to help you familiarize yourself with them. One such mission will task you with increasing your cozy meter to 5 in your home. Another small pleasant addition to Fae Farm is the way new cosmetic blueprints are unlocked. The blueprints are found in the game world as scrolls. This provides a reason to keep exploring the island other than for collecting resources, as blueprints are tucked away in some sneaky corners of the map. Some other mechanics I didn't get a chance to get around to yet is getting rid of the whirlpool, blocking boats from coming to the island, and fulfilling shipping contracts. You can also upgrade your house and make it much larger and decorate it to your heart's content. I didn't get to upgrade my house yet, so I didn't get to mess around with too much interior decoration. There are also new biomes such as the cold region that I couldn't access as of now due to the lack of proper clothing. There are also some regions locked off that require certain seals to unlock. There's a fair amount of exploring to do in the world of Fae Farm. As for the crafting, you have stations that let you smelt the ores and materials into ingots and bricks. 
logs into lumber, food into ingredients to be cooked, and etc. Everything is automated so you can queue multiple actions and go explore or farm to your heart's content and collect the finished tasks later. This is quite convenient as you don't have to manually complete each task. Overall, Fae Farm is farmtastic fun. Yes, that was a terrible farm pun, but that's what I do. You could say I'm a punny guy. I apologize for that. Jokes aside, the game is pretty fun if you're a farming sim fan. I can't say they'll revolutionize the genre or provide you with a new experience, but it'll be a familiar yet enjoyable time. It has all the elements and mechanics of the classics such as Harvest Moon, Animal Crossing, and Stardew Valley, with some nice quality of life changes added on top. For additional information, the game currently doesn't have a review score as of this writing on August 31st, 2023. That's because their game will be released on September 8th, 2023 with an MSRP of $39.99 US dollars. The game was developed and published by Phoenix Labs and I did receive a free key from Keymailer. Thank you to the fantabulous person for approving my request. Currently, I have 8.1 hours spent in the game with a total of 9 out of the 35 achievements unlocked. I do have to say, I do love my farming games. This one is pretty decent. And when I first played, the UI for keyboard and mouse wasn't so good. But I got used to it. It is what it is. A lot of developers don't put a lot of effort into making sure the mouse and keyboard UI is uh, on point. But that's okay. It's understandable. I'm a masochist. I play everything with keyboard and mouse, including Dark Souls. Now moving on to the last game, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Dead by Daylight fans will be immediately familiar with the asymmetric multiplayer gameplay focusing on horror found in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Four survivors are tasked with escaping the basement and then the house of the Slaughter family. I am by no means an expert in Dead by Daylight. I only have 316.9 hours in Dead by Daylight currently. And while that may seem like a lot of hours, the community is crazy and those are just rookie numbers. So take what I say here with a grain of salt, but they are my honest opinions from what limited understanding I have of the game thus far. In my opinion, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a more chill experience. As a survivor, they're called victims in Texas Chainsaw. The game is way more focused on stealth, subterfuge, wit, and sometimes straight up bravado when compared to Dead by Daylight. It's actually very difficult for family members to find victims on the map if they only rely on sight. The maps are well made with multiple sight lines cut off by crouching. There are also small spaces that most of the family cannot access, spaces such as very thin openings you have to shimmy through, some crawl spaces, and crates with barbed wire. If all goes wrong on the surface, you can jump down a well back into the basement to escape pursuit, but at great cost to your health and having to open the basement doors again. This makes the game feel way more intense if you run into a family member as the victim. While it's easy to lose a single person chasing you, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has three people playing family members. That's right, three people are playing the killers. Once a single family member has caught sight of you, and if they have any level of coordination and communication at all, it becomes very difficult to escape alive. The map is quite large, however, and while the family members chase around a victim or two, the rest are free to make a frantic rush for the exit. Now, it may sound unfair to play as a family once people find out that the survivors do not leave a visible trail movement as in Dead by Daylight, but this is by no means the only way to track people in the game. 
As members of the family, you can gather blood by collecting them from pans located all around the map or by attacking the victims. Once you have some blood gathered, you can feed it to the grandpa, usually sitting somewhere in the middle of the map. Now this may sound strange, but the grandpa is essentially a time sensor that activates at set intervals, revealing the location of any survivor that moves during that short duration. By collecting more blood, you can level up the grandpa so that the frequency of the scan increases. At max level, survivors can no longer hide from grandpa's scans. It is possible for the people playing the killers to spec their characters and work together to harvest as much blood as possible early on and max grandpa fairly quickly. This only happened in one match, but it is a viable option. The scam may sound useless, but it does force players to stop moving wherever they are, making them much easier to spot. This isn't the only tool the family have at their disposal. Depending on which character you pick, you have plenty of ways to make anyone trying to escape have a rather difficult time. Some characters can set traps in key locations, causing injury and forcing them to free themselves slowly or risk being detected. Other characters can lock doors and add padlocks, forcing victims to scavenge for tools and then pick the doors open. Letterface can cut down wood doors and the blocks with barbed wire so they can no longer be used by the victims to dodge anyone chasing them down. One person can even listen for movement and track the general location the sound is coming from. There are plenty of ways to play and allowing even further customization is a skill tree with different perks that affect gameplay as well as being able to put points into stats that affect your base traits such as stamina. The same goes for victims as well. Each character has different abilities in addition to the perks unlocked in the skill tree and the stat points. One of the more skill-heavy characters is Leland. He has the ability to actually stun killers by tackling them from behind. I met a skill Leland character that ran circles around me and then tackled me to the ground multiple times, closing doors on me and generally making me look like a fool multiple times before making a successful exit. As for how to make a successful exit as a victim, the first step is to escape the basement. There are locked doors that can only be picked open with toolkits found scattered throughout the map unless you're playing Connie. I guess lockpicking lawyer would have a really easy time getting out. Scavenging a toolkit takes a lot of time unless you rush the process, making more noise. If you make enough noise, it will show as a red indicator on the screen to the family members. Sometimes rushing things and making a lot of noise is actually the move if you know the killers are preoccupied with chasing someone else. After you pick the door and open it, it will create noise notifying the killers that you have escaped the basement. After that, you have to open two sets of doors and turn off a generator before you can fully escape. This is a general path most people take and it requires two toolkits to pick open the doors. This path is usually the easiest to do, but also the easiest for the family to guard against, since it only takes one person camping the door to prevent access. The game thankfully has multiple exit points, but with varying difficulty. Some require you to take a valve and change the pressure level at a different location before opening the door, while the most complicated exit requires you to find two fuses and place them in the proper location before exiting. The game does have a time limit however, as a survivor you can't just hide in a corner of the map indefinitely. Either grandpa will be maxed out, a killer will use their ability to track you one way or another, or you will just straight up bleed out and die. The game does seem to be fairly balanced for either side, but still requires a lot of skill, communication, and coordination.
In my opinion, I do find Texas Chainsaw Massacre to be more enjoyable than Dead by Daylight as of now since it's a new experience. I don't know if my opinion will change over time, but for now it's nice to play a round or two during the evenings. It is quite more stress and anxiety inducing when you're found by a family member since it's harder to escape and there are no redos like in Dead by Daylight where you can kite the killer for a while, get hooked, and then wait for someone to rescue you. The two games are definitely alike but also quite different in many ways and I hope more asymmetric multiplayer games come out. For additional information, the game currently has a review score of 82% positive with a total of 7,915 reviews as of this writing on September 1st, 2023. The game was developed by Sumo Digital and is published by Gun Interactive. It was released on August 18, 2023 with an MSRP of $39.99 US dollars. I did receive a free key from Terminals, thank you to the leatherific person for approving my request. Currently I have 7.3 hours in the game, with a total of 8 out of the 51 achievements unlocked. Alright, we're gonna call it quits, thank you so much for listening, I don't know who you are, you're probably friends and family downloading my episode and re-listening to it, thank you very much, I do appreciate y'all, if you're a stranger. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I know it's very random because I cover so many things in this podcast and you don't know what you're going to get. And uh, I appreciate that. If you don't want to listen to something, that's totally fine. You can skip an episode or you can just quit my podcast. You know, I get it. I'm trying my best to make content that will provide value to the person listening, but I'm not quite good at that yet. So what I'm doing is what I enjoy doing making what I want to make. So hopefully that comes across. I really do care about games coverage as well. And I really do care about making content that's uh, no nonsense. I'm not trying to milk you guys for anything. But I will try to monetize it if I ever get big. I, I would love to have a sponsor and all that. Uh, but I don't want money to be the main goal or getting traffic to be the main goal. I just want to make the best thing that I can make uh, with my limited ability. Anyways, if you guys want to contact me, you can email me at duckyobrienshow at gmail.com. O'Brien is spelled O-B-R-I-E-N. Once again, it's D-U-C-K-Y-O-B-R-I-E-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. That's Ducky O'Brien Show at gmail.com. You can also just Google Ducky O'Brien. I'm on YouTube and I'm on Twitch if you want to drop by. I mostly make content on YouTube as well as podcasts. My blog is duckyobrien.com as well if you want to check that out. It's just going to be the text format of what you just listen to or watch. So it's really, it's really nothing new you're going to get out of there. Uh, occasionally, I might have something in writing that you don't see in the podcast and vice versa. But that's going to be it. Once again, this is episode 28 of the Ducky O'Brien Show. I've been a little bit extra chatty. Apologize for that. Uh, but it's what I do. <laughs> I'm going to take uh, for the future episodes. I have some video rants I made that I'm going to cut into audio and upload because, you know, they have, I have some thoughts that i like to get out. And uh, thank you. Thank you for your support. I do appreciate it. And as always, hope you guys are staying safe and staying out there. And I'll catch you guys next time.